welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 164 and my guest this week is Mr Ian Tucknott who is a creative coach, an arts educator, an art therapist in training and one of the curators of the Mental Wealth Festival and the festival is hosted by City Lit which is an adult education centre and it's an annual event that provides a forum for informative, challenging and inspiring discussion through a mixture of workshops and talks and exhibitions and other activities that are all free or low fee and of course the key theme throughout all of that is mental health and in this episode I chat to Ian about the festival about the incredible work that they do and how it's evolved over the years we also talk about Ian's own mental health challenges and how a mixture of art and creativity and a men's retreat helped him to overcome them we talk about the importance of having any sort of creative outlet and how being creative can help us to understand and express ourselves as well as understanding and creating the world around us and I actually met Ian last year when I was part of the mental wealth festival he hosted a men's mental health panel that I was a part of. If you actually scroll back a few episodes, I recorded that and put it out as a bonus episode. It's highly worth a listen if you want to uh, scroll back and try and track it down. And we had to chat quite a bit in the build up to that. And I knew straight away that he would make a, a brilliant guest. He has so much wonderful insight from his own experiences and from the creative work that he does and the coaching that he does and also from all the things that he's picked up from the festival over the years. There was so much I wanted to chat to him about. He's such a lovely bloke. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I often think that I record these conversations, you know, and I put them out in the world in the hope that people will hear them and and get what they need from them, you know, at the time that they listen. And this is one of those conversations that I think I really needed to hear it when I had it with Ian. He got me thinking about a lot of stuff and my approach to a lot of stuff. There's a bit of an unofficial theme of the episode, I suppose, where Ian talks a lot about purpose. That kind of weaves through this conversation and about how important having purpose is to mental health and how him finding his purpose was massive in him sort of turning things around, I suppose. But also what purpose means to him. And that particular part of the episode has really, really, well, it landed with me in the moment and I've thought about it a lot since. So, um, yeah, it's wonderful. Look out for that. But yet the whole chat's great. The Mental Wealth Festival happens every year. It's normally in October, whatever. I don't know. I, is it Mental Health Week or Mental Health Day? Whichever one's in October, it's normally around there. But I've put links to it in the episode notes, put all the socials and stuff. I've put Ian's socials in there. So go and check them out. Give them a follow and see what they're up to. It really is a cool thing. It's like almost a week long. They have all sorts of talks, exhibitions, activities, things going on, all different sorts of people. And it really is a sort of deep dive and celebration of all things mental health. And I think I'm right in saying that this year is going to be the 10th anniversary. So they're probably going to have some really cool stuff planned 
demand for that as well. So go and check it out. If you would like to watch this conversation with Ian, you can do so on the Patreon page. There's a link in the notes to sign up. Basically, whenever I chat to someone, the first thing I do is pop the uh, video up onto the Patreon page where you can watch it. I don't put those videos anywhere else. And often I'm a few weeks ahead. So, so you get them weeks or months before the audio as well. It's only £5 a month and that money just goes towards keeping the podcast ticking over without the needs for adverts and and all that sort of nonsense that I'm quite uncomfortable with. Another great way to support, a free way to support, is just to leave a review on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you like. It's very much appreciated. And this is episode 164, The Proper Mental Podcast, with Ian Tucknot. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy! So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Ian Tucknot. How are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Oh, Looking mate, thank you for our uh, discussion. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's lovely to see you again, mate. Obviously, we, um, I mean, that's probably like a, a really good place for us to to jump in um, because mm-hmm. we met quite recently um, when we were both involved on the Men's Mental Health panel at the Mental Wealth Festival. Um, how did the how did this year's festival go, mate? How was uh how did it go? Now you're sort of you know a few weeks clear looking back at it. How how was it this year? Yeah, um, it's fantastic. Um, really, you know, I've been working on it for two years now. In ter- in terms of a curate curatorial role, I could use because I'm putting it together. But I've worked at so the the festival is run by City Lit in London, which is an adult education institute, and we're not, it's our ninth festival. So I've always been involved each year, but last couple of years kind of been more involved behind the scenes, inviting speakers and guests to come and and be involved in the festival. So it was fantastic for me. It's always you know, it's an exhausting week and kind of working day and evening, but, you know, it's so nourishing at the same time because it allows me to meet such interesting people, you included on our men's panel and, um, you know, through the week, authors and, uh, you know, therapists and counsellors and educators and artists and all these different people who are there for one purpose, really, to to talk about mental health and at the same time, you know, explore and sort of advocate for and encourage, you know, engaging in those things that keep us well. It's one of the phrases we use in the festival. You know, we're, we're about having open conversations around mental health and difficulties we have, but at the same time, it's about, well, what, what are those things that can keep us well? And of course, my context is, is education, um, learning, creativity and the role they play within mental health um but at the core of that is about human connection so coming back to my weeks like it was nourishing because I just got to connect with people have open conversations about you know lived experience and all of these things and and just come away going human beings are incredible (laughs) and we do incredible things in really difficult circumstances you know people who had real difficult mental health experiences and continuing to do so but you just see those seeds of hope in human connection and and engaging in things like art or creativity or learning or or you know 100 million different things right that we humans invented to 
to kind of help us to survive and thrive. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Sometimes we kind of, I don't know, we do need reminding of this stuff, don't we, right? Like, I think that's something that happens in, in modern society when we're getting dragged along the hamster wheel is uh, it's sometimes nice to have a reminder that there are things that are really, really good for us and mm. they don't have to look a certain way or be a certain thing. And I don't know, we get pulled uh, pulled away from it. It's a really important question, isn't it? When someone's like maybe starting to not feel great, like mentally, you know, experiencing a bit of low mood, feel a bit down in the dumps. Um, something that I found really useful is just to like, um, you know, ask myself the question, well, like when's the last time I did something that I enjoy doing? And quite yeah. often the answer is like, oh, I've not, you know, not done that for months. And Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an important reminder, isn't it, that these things that light us up are really important to keep as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, you say that, I, I do it all the time. You know, I, I work in mental health. I'm training as an art psychotherapist. Like I live in this stuff. And every few weeks I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a bit low. I'm not feeling good. And then I think, oh, when was the last time I went, you know, literally, you know, I walk the dog every day, but when was the last time I went for a walk and actually looked and smelt the countryside and looked at a tree and things like this? Or when was the last time I read a poem? When was the last time I, you know, wrote in my journal? And it's so easy to, to lose all of those practices and all of those sort of things that keep us well. You know, when was the last time I had a great conversation with a friend? You know, it's, it's, it's all of these things. And, and we can, we get caught up in, in work or life or you know get caught up in our own minds and you we, those things fall away so it's that you know it's there in the festival it's that ongoing reminder is like keep these things going you know and it's like oh I you know oh I can't be bothered to go out. it's cold I don't want to go and take a course in Spanish or something like this and it's like but we know that people kind of once you get there it's like oh thank god I did that there's the reminder this is the stuff that keeps me well this is the stuff that keeps you know life life keep you know life worth living i'd say you know yeah. sounds a bit 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 big to say that but yeah that's, but that's it does what life's right? about for me <laughs> yeah no i agree you know yeah on the on the on the small things you know the small mm. ways to connect with other people and to express ourselves and to experience joy you know these are those are the things that make life worth living and they are the things that when you're not doing great that you don't have right they mm. are you don't have those little moments of joy and that's can be a big factor in what makes life seem so bleak when you're not in a in a good yeah. way so yeah it's important to to look for them and to embrace them and to and to conjure them up you know because sometimes we have to yeah we have to conjure them up ourselves rather than uh just hope exactly that, hope that it's going to come along yeah and yeah. something that really kind of um, jumped out when you were talking then as well mate is that um all the different type of people that are involved in the in the festival as well you know and i think in the in the mental health conversation uh, in the general conversation the wider conversation like collaboration is so important mm. you know swapping ideas and um you know like yeah, i i speak to a couple of people a week this for this podcast and every single person i said to i speak to says something that makes me go like oh wow that's just like i'd never thought of that before i've never heard that before you know and the more different different types of people different things that are, are just just talking about this stuff it's so 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 powerful and it really seems like that's something that the festival aims to do is to like bring together all these different voices and ideas yeah yeah and it you know it really really is about collaboration and and dialogue really you know you're, you're doing it you're doing it every week or a few times a week right you have so many conversations it's like you know opening up that dialogue and and I always think something magic happens when when we're in dialogue and and I like you know I like your 
podcast because it's kind of there's a playfulness to the dialogue and it's or there's curiosity at work you know being interested in things and that sort of and then we so I, I often couple collaboration with co-creation it's like we're collaborating and in doing so we're in dialogue we're, we're co-creating something something's being made here whether it's ideas whether it's learning whether it's whatever it is you know so I I always like to couple those things it's like this isn't just having a chat yeah. <laughs> we're, ma we're making something together and I kind of you know as you might know, creativity is the center of everything I do. So kind of that's my key topic. There's always a creative element, you know, co-creation. Yeah. It's there. It's there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, making something out of nothing, right? Just by just by having a having a chat and seeing what mm. what comes up. I think it's a really good way as well to like build community and to kind of um I suppose feel a little bit like we're taking the power back and taking control for ourselves, right? Because you know, there are so many factors that involve mental health and how why people get poorly and the help that they get and these are driven by you know by the like the government right and by money and by funding and all these things that isn't going to change anytime soon and of course it's important to bear that in mind when we're voting and to to be, make ourselves aware of this but that's the sort of bigger picture and sometimes people can feel so so um so hopeless right there's mm. no help available there's no money the people that are supposed to care uh don't care but when we like connect with each other and you know things like the festival bringing all these people together having these conversations it kind of I love that feeling of people saying, all right, okay, so we're not going to get the help from these, from the big wigs and there's nothing we can do till it's time to vote. So in the meantime, let's get control of this. Let's mm. like look after our own community. Let's fucking do something about it. And that's so empowering. That's a really lovely thing as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, th I think a lot of, uh, you know, difficulties with mental health, you know, mine included are, are, are about those feelings of feeling disempowered and, Again, I kind of the word purpose comes in there for me. It's like when we're disempowered, we we lack a purpose, and and sometimes you know we we can drift into kind of complete victimhood, and it's understandable in some cases. You know, if if I have a lot of privilege, you know, that I can do things, and I I can you know engage in things, and I have I have at least a little bit of money to do so. You know, but kind of you know those those on the extremely low incomes and those who are struggling, you know, it can be a really desperate, disempowering space. And, and on the one hand, there is looking at kind of simple everyday things, you know, human togetherness. But again, there are those who, you know, loneliness is such a huge factor as well. So even it's difficult for people to access those things. But I also know, and this is something I'm always reminded by, by the festival, is how many, how many people are out there doing incredible things and so much of it is free you know we we run the festival and we're really adamant about this it's kind of to make it as accessible as possible so the vast majority of our events at the mental wealth festival are uh, free of charge you know come along book come to a panel panel discussion or, or to a to a kind of one of our free workshops or a talk or join the webinar online you know i'm also wary of people who might not have, have access have access to technologies so i'm you know always aware of okay where, where are people you know experiencing boundary or where are people at, at this kind of block to access as well so you know it's really important but even the people who come to the festival and talk are, are doing things that are, that are usually free and they're usually offering their time and their skills and their creativity and their energy and say you know come along and we you know sometimes we're not aware of them 
you know, I'm, it's part of my joy of the festival. It's like, I had no idea this was happening. This is incredible. You know, this incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I love that too. I love that too. Like, you know, I always think like when I wasn't well and I didn't really know what was going on and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know about anything. Like, I couldn't even name any of the, like the more well-known advocates or I'd never even read a book or nothing at all, mm. you know? And then like now, you know, for doing this, I meet so many people and that like, and everyone is is doing these things and you think, well, th these are the things that we should be celebrating and shining a light on because they're the things that people need to know about when they're not mm. well. It's quite simple. It, it needs to be, you know, at people's fingertips that when, you know, that these organizations are out there. So anything that kind of brings them together and, and, and shines a light that on that is, is, is wonderful you know how do you um how do you go about curating you know because you've got to go and find these people and get them involved and uh and you know put this stuff together so have you got a do you have like a list of uh of you know people to you know do you go down rabbit holes trying to find them how does it work mate indeed yeah yeah well it's a mixture of things really i, I you know i i we often start so i i the um amber um is the festival director so we we have meetings you know, when we start to plan the year's festival. Um, and we have, you know, over the years, we've built contacts. So we have people who who come back to the festival and do things each year. And then we kind of have a wish list. Like, who who would who would we really like? What are we interested in? Who What's what's come onto our radar over that year, really? So, and then just reach out and see, you know, and it's really difficult because we, 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 you know, we run mostly events for free. So we don't have a huge budget. There's not much, there's very little, well, little to no income from the festival. Any, anything goes into our bursary at City Lit so people can access the bursary to go onto our mainstream courses. So, so it's really tricky. So we we kind of looked, you know, and sort of asking people, you know, will, will you come on? We, we can't pay you, but you know, will, will you give your time and, and, and join us? So it's, you know, it's, but it's those conversations. And that's the kind of enjoy, one of the enjoyable part for me as well is like, you know, meeting you, you know, which came through kind of a contact from the festival and it's like, oh, I know this person and I'm doing this or have you talked to that person? It's like, suddenly this whole world opens up, like, like you're saying in a way, and, and you realize, oh my, there is so much more going on. This person's met this person at this event. And, you know, our theme this year was connections, and I chose that theme quite de deliberately around this sort of thing: is is connecting the dots and connecting people to other people or organisations to organisations, and and you know, throughout the festival, it's like you know, oh, maybe you could do something with them or something with me. I'd be interested in getting involved with that, and it was it was fantastic just to you know, and then it organically grows, and and this year it was a bit like we got to a point where it's like this there's too much now you know there's only like two of us <laughs> organizing it and it was something like and then we've got to think about our mental health right? <laughs> it's like you know yeah, the most stressful I... week of my year <laughs> and I'm trying to advocate for well-being and self-care and all of these things and I'm like but I haven't slept and uh, do these things, you know yeah so. there's, a certain, there's an certain irony, irony to it yeah yeah, exactly. yeah Landis Morissette should have put that in a <laughs> that, that in a song right yeah very much so I might yeah. rewrite that for next year yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll do my own version yeah to like to close the show right right you could uh, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just to kind of move on to onto yourself Ian, and like mm -hmm. your own um, passion for mental health your own interest in mental health what's your story mate like what's your um you know where does your why do you care so much about this stuff yeah oh big question where big do question. I go where do I go there's 50 different stories here um I suppose uh 
I don't know. I suppose kind of one line of the story in a way is is that, you know, I'm I'm gay. So, you know, growing up as a teenager, you know, back it back in the 90s is sort of going through school is is that I didn't even realize at the time, but struggling with my sexuality and you know, there was no real education about that there. It's kind of, you know, growing up with these feelings and thinking, I'm different. I'm not like anyone else. I don't seem to be having the feelings that other people seem to have. And and there were periods through my teens where I struggled, you know, with, with my sexuality and, you know, absolute terror of coming out or being found out, all of these sorts of things. So, you know, that was very key to my experience. So I, th- I think whenever we, anyone who comes into mental health work enters into it in part, because they're trying to heal themselves. Um, so I think so from that experience. And then through my life, I've I've had moments where of, of real difficulty. So I I if I jump forward a little bit, I suppose that probably about five, six years ago, I was working in in kind of management and and uh and I kind of, you know, I'm very committed, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, I take responsibility, I take things very seriously and got to the point essentially where I I hit burnout um and again I wasn't telling anyone I wasn't I was kind of going oh I'm a little bit stressed whereas inside I was like I'm literally falling apart here but I'm walking around smiling and I've got responsibility to my team and I've got to kind of you know hold them and look after them and if I show my weakness then everything will fall apart and everything will be a disaster you know so all those catastrophizing ideas so you know I did that to a point where I got to this situation where um yeah you know if I'm if I'm honest there was this terrifying moment where I where I started fainting quite a lot and passing out and I wouldn't tell anyone and it was like I'm really ill here (laughs) something's wrong you know I know I know know your experiences where it's like oh yeah I'm proper mental right something something's really wrong here but I'm not going to tell anyone and I'm just going to try to muddle through but when that was happening I really hit a point and spent a week in bed with depression and burnout ex- absolutely exhausted and it was in that I'm trying to remember what I was thinking because of course in those moments you're not really thinking but there was a thought in me was that I need to do something now and something needs to happen so I I am um, I was googling and I and I found a, a men's retreat called men without masks run by run by Craig White um and thought this is going to be it. This is what's going to save me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I booked on and, and yeah, went on that and it, you know, it, it was absolutely fantastic experience and can really kind of started to shift my move into, in a way, I come back to that word I used earlier is purpose and thinking, ah, my purpose wasn't management and leadership, which was the direction I was going. But, you know, really thinking about what is it I love? What is it that really energizes me? What am I passionate about in my life? And, you know, and at the core of it was creativity. And the other thing was, was people. And even though in management, you're working with people all the time and it's there. I realized I was just missing sort of what I loved about teaching, you know, is being with people. And again, I come back to another word is co-creation and kind of exchanging and dialoguing and co-creating learning in the space and just feeling that stuff moving. So I need to be 
to be with people and I need to be with people working creatively and thinking about creativity um, and sort of the mental health came into that. And I suppose the other thing is because my background is teaching and working with adults and that's what I've always done. You know, there was another significant moment where um, a, a student of mine asked her permission. So it's an artist called Claire French. Check her out. She's a fantastic artist. But um, when when I was teaching her, she I used to run a course called the Foundation Diploma in Art and Design at CityLit. It's still running now, another great course. Um, and at the end of year exhibition, um, we were having a chat and she, she said to me, um, let's face it, Ian, we're all here trying to sort our shit out. And kind of referring to the course and and I think that's always stuck with me um you know that whilst I was teaching and I was teaching people how to think about their art and how to create and to think about creativity realizing at the same time that doing that was also helping them create themselves in a way or to sort things out and it was so that and I've always sort of known it, but never, it's never been acknowledged that directly, you know, art is helping me sort my shit out, essentially. So, so that's the other strand, I suppose, in there from my experience and kind of shifting towards a more purposeful life. There was also this sense that, okay, what, what is it about creativity that, that helps within that space? So then I retrained as a, a transformational life coach. I now work as a creative coach privately. Um, so I bring together kind of coaching with, with this idea of creativity. Um, and that led me into um, training as an integrative art psychotherapist, <laughs> which is where I am now um, in my studies and absolutely loving it. And, you know, and it's almost like everything in my life, everything I'm doing, I'm still teaching, I'm still coaching, I'm training as well. It's like I've got my core passions at the center of it creativity in people mental health yeah that so it's like i'm in a good place because it's like yeah there's yeah. nothing kind of excess or anything that's that's there and i'm i'm where i'm meant to be felt like a long answer to your question mate, <laughs> yeah. it's a beautiful answer mate yeah thank you that was lovely it's um yeah yeah there's, there's loads there i want to go back to i want to see if i can remember all of it but um i think there's something really interesting that a lot of people are going to relate to when you were talking about kind of experiencing burnout and the the mm. effect that had, but still wanting to put on that face and still not wanting to do anything about it. And I think it's kind of in that space. That was certainly my experience of being like not very well and mm. kind of, to, you know, saying I'm fine. And that's the bit, isn't it? When we talk about men's mental health and we say like men don't talk, you know, mm. and there is that narrative around that. And I often do say like, well, men do talk because I've, I've heard them, right. I've spoke to them, but it's in that place. It's not so much men don't talk. It's that men don't ask for help or men don't know how, or there's something I can't quite vocalize it, but it, it's in that space that you were describing. And I've been in that space too, mm. where we know something's wrong and we don't want to acknowledge something's wrong. And there's some, there's like a blocker there. You yeah. know, what, what was it for you? Do you think that stopped you from like sort of putting your hand up and saying like, yeah this this is not I am not you know this is not working out well for me I need to do something about it why did it why do you think it takes us so long what was your experience of that it's difficult I, I suppose my, my first response is is that I'm still learning right to ask for help and it's still difficult for me you know I I sort of through my life I've I've kind of 
you know, prided myself in being independent, being able to look after myself, even at my lowest. It's like, oh, I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I won't ask for help. Um, so there is that real, for me, you know, there's almost like a terror of being vulnerable. And then you're, those, are, those fears come into that space, right? It's like, if I say that, will people think I'm needy? kind of one of my kind of internal messages is is like oh, oh I don't want to be a burden on anyone so if even if people are willing to listen I'm like I'm just burdening them so I'll just lighten how I'm feeling so it's like oh, I'm feeling stressed please listen to me I won't tell you how in despair I am <laughs> I'll just give you the ni nice surface one so I'm not burdening you with it you know and I'm, I'm in therapy now and I did that with my therapist for for weeks and weeks of like you know, worrying that I'm burdening her with, with kind of really quite surface stuff for me, and it's like you know you realize that that's what they're there for. And that's, <laughs> yeah. But even though you know that cognitively, it's inbuilt, kind of emotionally, it's in the body that you kind of you have these blocks and resistances to yeah. to do so. And I think, and I think, kind of another part. Of, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but kind of another thought that came up really was 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 sometimes I always think about you know this idea of talking and the encouragement for men to talk if we talk about kind of men's mental health and I always think about listening the other side you know talking is one thing but if you're not feeling the other part or the other role on the other side then then that can actually make you feel worse so I'm a bit at the moment a bit more the other side you know it's good to listen and we and uh, and we assume people know how to, and I don't think we do know how to listen. And, you know, in a lot of areas like coaching, mental health, you know, I think it's quite a popular phrase now. It's like the idea of holding space. You know, how do we hold space for someone to be vulnerable, that they feel safe to do so, and they feel safe that it's not burdening the listener with the problems? Like, that's a set of really quite significant skills that I don't think a lot of us have. Um or at least, you know, I tried to have. <laughs> and I think kind of part of the skill of it as well, you know, this is part of learning to be a therapist, right? Is you've got to learn to be able to hold space and to allow those feelings to come, but also not to just take them on yourself. Because otherwise people unload their difficulties and you carry them home and then and then you're you're ill, right? And you they're transferred into you essentially. So so a lot of these things. So I think, you know there's great that we're kind of talking more and this is what you know this was my experience on the retreat I talked about and experiences you know I've been to Andy's man club um, and things like that and that you know you really get that sense and it's and it's well kind of held there because you you get your time to talk and you really feel people are listening to you and I think kind of those groups are really significant as well because it's like okay it's being held by everybody I'm not burdening one person. It's held by the group. Hmm. And then and then you experience that incredible thing of empathy. And people yeah. are like, oh, what you said really resonated with me. Here's my experience. And you're like, I, I'm not alone. It's not me. There's not something wrong with me. We're all the we're all similar. <laughs> like it's a surprise, you know, and it it's you know, and it still surprises me. I still have to have those things, you know. Yeah. There's a quote I often use. There, there was a there's this um psychotherapist um called yalom um and he and there's a quote he says kind of 
sounds a bit complicated, but it's kind of, you know, therapy is, or group therapy, therapy in groups is about the disconfirmation of one's wretched uniqueness. The disconfirmation of one's wretched. It's just a fancy way of saying, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one feeling this. We all have sadness. We all have anger. We all have shame. We all have all of any feelings that any human being has, every human being has them. And we, we've, you know, we might feel them in different ways and we might experience them in different ways and we have blocks to them in different ways, but they're all there. They're all there in all of us. So the more we share and vulnerable, it's nice. incredibly how strengthening and empowering that is to go, wow, yeah. How, how are we all holding, how are we all kind of dealing with our sadness? Because we've all got it. Don't pretend you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very much so yeah that's um that's really lovely because i think one of the isolating things about being poorly is that mm. we think it's only us right and yeah. like the 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 sick mind the poorly brain like lays that on pretty thick as well like it kind of reinforces that message we tell ourselves mm. that there's only us and you know and it, it's interesting then when you were talking you were talking about talking and listening and use the word skill right and like any skill to get good at it, you got to practice it mm. with both listening and, and talking. And you, you, you can't expect anything that's a skill. You can't just expect to be good at it, right? Yeah. I wouldn't just expect to be able to speak Spanish, right? Like you just, it's like anything. You have to be able to um, to practice it and to learn it. And I suppose another beauty of those groups is seeing it demonstrated, right? So if you're new to it, you can kind of, you know, you you go around the room and, and hear people in, in different voices and different accents and using different words to mm. kind of say similar things. There's a lot of a lot of power in that too. So, all oh, right, okay, this is how you do it. And there isn't a wrong way to do it. And I can do it in my own voice and use my own words. And that's like, that's, you know, that sounds, just sounds like a really beautiful thing, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. it is beautiful, yeah. you know? And, and again, you know, key for me is like, there's learning there, you know? And I love the way you, you, you kind of brought that out of that situation. It's like, you know, cause I know you've talked about this before and it's part of your experience and we, we discussed it on the panel, but, but learning the language for one's mental health, learning the language for one's feelings and, and kind of, you know, by listening to others talk about theirs, it's like, Oh, that's a good word. That, that resonates with me. I'll, I'll use that. That helps bring meaning. It's meaning making again, right? It's how do yeah. I make meaning of these feelings? Because I know that for me is like, you know, that literacy around our mental health. You know, I, I know only in recent years was like, I used to just say, I'm anxious. I have anxiety. And it wasn't until I started training in, in, in therapy and started seeing a therapist, I realized, oh, I, I don't have anxiety. <laughs> and, it, and, I was, and this is just for me. I'm not denying it for anyone else. But I was a bit like, maybe anxiety doesn't really exist in me. Because, and it starts to make me realize like, no, what I'm feeling is anger. But because I can't have a relationship with my anger, it, it, I just think, oh, it's like I'm anxious. Or I'm feeling really sad. And it's like, oh, I don't want to feel my sadness. So I'll just say it's anxiety. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. You know, so I'll just say it's anxiety. So I don't know if, if that makes sense, but it's almost like, you know, to say I have anxiety is different from saying I am fearful. And that was a big thing for me is, is like one is, is finding the words for emotions and then trying to find the corresponding feeling in me. And it's all learning. It's like I'm trying to figure out what these things are and not be afraid of them. And so that's sort of been part of my significant part of my journey. 
and this is why and this is why you know it's key for me you know why I love art therapy is that it gives other languages to do to play to play with our emotions so kind of words for a lot of people are intimidating and we feel into this I can't articulate these things so it's like well if if there's no words then can you draw it for me you know what does your sadness look like and show me you know yeah. or or we do body work as well you know where is that sadness in your body here okay what does it feel like well it's hot and it's spiky and it's metallic or whatever it might be and suddenly it's like okay it's a different language which is just describing a sensation and it's incredible you know even just doing that it's like oh i'm i'm bringing meaning to what's what's all these sensations in my body in my mind what i'm thinking feeling it's it's kind of you know it's important that we we give words or we give shape or we give meaning to that and then then we can share them right yeah just get the ball yeah. rolling right yeah you know, yeah I, I always felt when i first started therapy probably for like the first year my most common thing i said was i don't know mm. you know and it'd be asked like what does that feel like i don't know what do you think about that i don't know and i genuinely i i genuinely yeah. didn't right and i think that's true of a of a lot of people when we're kind of almost conditioned by society to you know we're too busy to feel you know we're too mm. busy to think about this stuff and then if you're not used to feeling any emotions it doesn't matter what emotion it is if you're not used to it well anything's going to feel uncomfortable yeah you know anything at all so you know it's much easier to yeah to to push it down and and to forget about it but like you say yeah you gotta gotta start somehow yeah. you know yeah go. yeah yeah, and we, you know, and it's. I think it's really important that you know, I love, I love the idea of not knowing. <laughs> it's like, you know, and and but that can be part of part of the difficulty. It's like not knowing is terrifying because because we we're expected to know all the time and you know to be in control and to be clear about things. Kind of, there's a real part of being human is like not knowing is terrifying. Yeah, and I and I try to kind of you know reframe that. And for me, not knowing is the most exciting thing. And 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 we use it a lot in, in art and, and creativity, really, because because if you're in a place of not knowing, then there's kind of that's where the potential for learning is, or that's where the potential for for creating something is into the unknown. And we've got to get okay with not knowing. And I know and I know that from coaching as well, because everybody I've coached, everyone I've coached at some point has talked about imposter syndrome. Right. And, and that, you know, that's a big thing, I think, that affects a lot of people's mental health these days. And it's like, you know, just that word to be an imposter. It's like, yeah, I feel like a fraud. I feel like a fake. I feel like I should know what I'm doing, but I don't. And if we just admit that, like, I don't, again, it's that universalizing it. Right. I don't think anyone really, truly knows what they're doing all of the time. We're just making it up. We're just doing it and kind of, you know, trying our best. <laughs> to do yeah. things but if we're more open about that it's like yeah I don't know you know someone asked me the other day it's like oh you're a creative coach what is that I'm like, I don't really know I'm figuring it out as I go <laughs> you know yeah. it involves coaching and creativity and something happens in it but you know defining it I always evade defining things <laughs> but it's like you know yeah I, I, I claim I claim the right to not know claim mm -hmm. the right to not know yeah and be, so and be okay with that and then but you know and then work with it like you're saying it's like you know within that space for you not knowing and kind of that might have been quite scary and, and quite difficult but it's like okay if I stay with it 
suddenly something comes in, a word will come in, knowing starts to emerge. Hmm. Kind of being curious around that is like, okay, yeah, let's be curious and, and think into not knowing what might yeah. be there. Yeah, Does that makes sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very much so. Very much so. It sounds like the um, Men Without Masks retreat was a, a big turning point for you, Ian. Was, mm. what, did you go, you know, was it like a, a weekend thing or a week or how long were you away for? And, um... It was, uh, I think it was about five days, yeah. four or five days. Were you anxious yeah. going in? I'm always like, I'm really intrigued by um, these sorts of like uh, these retreats and stuff mm. like that. And it's always, you know, there's always something to, it looks such, a lot of them such a beautiful thing, mm. but also quite a scary thing. And I yeah. always think, you, you know, I'm not quite sure if I could go and do five days with Men Without Masks as much as I think they're in- incredible. I've tried to get Craig on a few times. I've never quite managed to pin him down. But um, yeah, I always, <laughs> yeah, I, I always, um, I love the videos and stuff that they they share of just like people just being free and expressing themselves and and like connecting. But it also like, it scares me. Um, yeah. And I was interested to ask you, like when you, you know, set off on that, that miniature journey, were you scared going into that? Oh, mate? Totally, totally. Scared even, but scared booking. You know, I had that even just booking before I booked, you know, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm gay. So for some reason, there was this thing in my head was that I'm gay. So maybe, maybe I'm not allowed to go. Maybe I'm not the right kind of man to go. So I had all those doubts to begin with, you know, and, and luckily, I, you know, I, I rang or I dropped an email and the, the um, you know, the administrator at the time, and now a really good friend of mine uh, called Andy Downs, also a coach, but, you know, he said, well, I'm gay and I work here <laughs> and I'm a man. So, yes, you're very welcome. And it was like, oh, phew. so there's a relief there. But, you know, coming back to your question was was then kind of going was like, you know, absolutely terrified as well, because, you know, I know I knew did my research. I knew Craig, you know, worked in rugby and I was like, you know, I wasn't I, I did actually love rugby at school um, and I wish I'd carried on with it. But, you know, I w- wasn't that I wasn't very sporty terrible at football all of those sorts of things so that that terror was me and I'm like am I going to be in a room of kind of really sporty blokey blokes and I'm like you know this arty gay guy in the corner completely out of place you know I had all those terrors all those fears um and kind of went in and it and the minute you're there that goes because it's you know and of, of course I can't talk about every retreat but you know I know with with Craig's it was like immediately safe and immediately feeling like I belong here <laughs> what was I scared of so I think a lot of people have said it and I know people say this at Andy's man club as well it's like getting through the door is the key thing getting over that fear and stepping over that threshold is the terror but once you're over suddenly you know the magic happens and, and you're there and everything you're afraid of is again disconfirmed <laughs> to use that word from earlier you know yeah yeah again, like, so we live in this fancy in our head of like the worst that could happen and and especially in these sorts of spaces it's like yeah open your mind to the best that could happen if you just cross over yeah yeah that beautiful thing of being uh being brave you know and being vulnerable and showing up for yourself and mm. you know it's a, a like a recurring recurring theme it sounds like that that experience really helped you to kind of sort of drill down into what you wanted to do and what could that could look like. Mm. Have you always been 
into being creative have you always had like passions for art and poetry and the different things that you do has that yeah. always been a part of your life yeah totally totally yeah i you know i discovered yeah i discovered art in school um you know it was it was never my trajectory you know as a as a teenager you know i think i wanted to be a flight attendant or something for many years and you know suddenly you know dis discovered art it ca it came i think you know we had a supply teacher and she told me to do something and i did the exact opposite and what i did that was opposite was was kind of good in a way and it was so i think my draw towards art was a bit of my rebellious child because i was quite a naughty boy sorry i was quite a, not i was the opposite i wasn't a naughty boy i was like really you know quite a polite adapted shy you know child so so i sort of there was something pulling me towards art which was a space where i could allow parts of me that i wouldn't allow anywhere else to be expressed and i like kind of you know in art you can play and rebel you can you know the more i learn the more i can realize you could be provocative in art so so yeah, I went on, continued studied, went to art school. Um, but but when I went to art school, I studied a, a course at Norwich School of Art called um, Cultural Studies. So it was it was kind of cultural theory um, alongside art, all kinds of art and creative writing. So I graduated as a poet, an artist, and a theorist. Um, and that's why I kind of, you know, maybe variety is part of my life. It's like I could never do or be one thing. It's like I'm always adding and always kind of building these things. But as I said, the the core of the core of kind of everything I do, I make sure it's there at center is this idea of creativity. And for me, that's really important um, because, you know, for me, cr cr creativity is is inherent. It's in every human being. You know, I, when Alfred and I talk about this, people often feel intimidated by creativity or if they don't know about art, there's often kind of a fear around it. And I, you know, and, and so many people say to me, oh, I'm not very creative. And I'm like, well, you know, if you have had a dream, if you ever worried about something, you know, worrying is is very creative. You're imagining the worst. You know, it's a horrible imaginative <laughs> action, but, you know, it means you've got imagination, right? Or if you ever solved a problem, that's creative. If you ever played or been able to play, yes, then then kind of that creativity is inherent with everybody. So I have this kind of very broad definition of creativity that's, that is just like, it's in every human activity if we find it and if we can harness it, you know, it's, it's what creates everything, which is why I was saying earlier about conversation as a creative engagement, you know, we're, we're co-creating, that's creativity for me. So it's almost like everything is art for me mm, yeah. <laughs> in that way. So. So yeah, you know, so I can't remember your question now. I've meandered a little bit. I've got into creativity, <laughs> no, no. but yeah, so I've moved through that and, you know, taught art and studied art theory and, you know, looked at creativity and I'm, I'm really into that kind of creativity in a broader sense now, um, that, that kind of where, where is it in everything? And that's part of my creative coaching is like, you know, I coach a lot of artists and a lot of people who would say I am creative, but I don't just kind of keep it strict to those levels it's like you know if you want to harness and engage your inherent creativity and essentially create your life as your work of art then that's life that's what life coaching does it's like you know harnessing human ability to solve problems and to to play with their life and to play with ideas to play with what matters to them and and use that playfulness and experimentation to 
to generate something yeah yeah mate that's cool it's um yeah i think creativity it's a how that word is viewed in itself is really strange because people i've said this on the podcast lots of times every time i spoke to an artist probably but there's this whole thing of is almost putting creativity in boxes so mm. like it has to be this thing yeah. and it has to be this thing and then of course people look at those things and they go well i can't do either of those so i must not be a creative person and it's it's funny that you mentioned people saying that to you because i've written that down on my pad to ask you about as something mm. you must hear a lot because that's what people say and I would have said that about myself or I would have said, oh, I am creative, but only in like, you know, I'm a big music fan and like, I play a mm. couple of instruments and stuff. And so I would have said Fantastic. like only, only in music, like not in any, not in anything else, right? Only, only in music. But something that's been huge for my mental health is thinking of other things as creativity, thinking of this podcast as creativity mm. and, you know, like doing coloring in books, right? And like, and that sort of, you know, you can really, you can find that, that part of you that wants to just do stuff for the sake of doing it, you can find it in pretty much anything, can't you? Like you say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. You know, in my experience, it's, it's, it was a bit tied in with, you know, some schools do creative teaching very well, but you know, in the school system as it is, you know, you, you, you bracket it off and it's like, okay, you know, creativity happens in the music room or in drama or in dance or in the art studio and everything else is not creative. You know, I, I was thinking my story, you know, I said I discovered art in school, but you know, my favorite topic was geography because our geography teacher was like, oh, draw this and do this. I was far more creative in geography than I was in the art class because the art class for me was like, okay, sit and draw this thing in front of you and if the thing you're drawing doesn't look like the thing that you're looking at, then you're not creative and you're not able to, to do this, you know, and I'm, I'm, I was a shit drawer. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay now. I've done a lot of training, but then I was like, actually drawing something accurately isn't inherently creative. Actually, it's very technical. Mm. Maybe, maybe that's not, and so that's not my kind of sense. I'm, I'm not sort of very skills based in my view of, of creativity and even art in a way I like art that's a bit shoddy <laughs> you know because it's real and it's human you know I have a lot of admiration for people who are technically very good but you know I'm more interested in kind of what's happening in the work and what ideas are moving through it and yeah I was I was you know I was thinking that about about you in the podcast is like you know it's a great example you know setting up a business is creative you know and anything you know setting up a podcast being able to hold and facilitate and bounce ideas around with with your guests all creative all kind of you know yeah it's it's there in in any human activity if we find it and harness it you know I sound a bit cheesy here and I do this with my students in the art class. It's like, I, you know, I use a lot of theory around these things. And then I say, you know, it's simply what Mary Poppins said, you know, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap the jobs again. And it's like, that's, that's in it for me. Yeah. Maybe that's where my creativity came from. Mary Poppins. There we go. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That was the short answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Yeah. yeah. Is it, if it just if we start to like talk about that more in terms of like, the benefits on mental health so mm. you're training to be an art psychotherapist yeah at the moment so I suppose like where am I going with this I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate this properly uh is we know that we don't know we say that creativity is good for our mental health right mm -hmm. but that's all we say 
<laughs> so yeah. how do, how do we go a level deeper into that? If someone's listening and going, "Oh, that sounds that sounds great," but like, how is it good for my mental health? What can I what can I do? You know, like how do we start to yeah. bring that bring that? Am I making sense with this? Yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So for me, there's there's different answers because you know, art and creativity and any creative activity works in a different way. So you know, um, but I often say, kind of, there's one direction you can look at, which which is kind of linking kind of creative stuff to mindfulness and for me you know this was a big lesson this you know Craig said to this to me on the retreat you know Ian you need to get out of your head and into your body it's a mantra that's constantly in my head when I when I'm stressed or something I hear Craig's voice and I'm like Ian get out of your head and into your body so you know so creative activities can be like that you know you mentioned coloring in you know it's it it's a mindful activity it can be a mindful activity or people do like life drawing classes. Like you're really getting into your perception. You're looking and you're engaging your hand and mind body to, to work, you know, if you get rid of the idea of getting something accurate and being a perfectionist, it's like, it doesn't have to look like the thing, but, but just, you know, it, it could be, it's mindful, right? So there's, there's that aspect. Mm. The other side may be a bit more scientific. I could come at it from different directions, but um, so, so, uh, um, so there was uh, the founder of an area called affective neuroscience. Um, so neuroscience, but about affect, which is feeling emotion, um, uh, called Yak Panksepp. And he, and he studied the brains of uh, animals and humans and, um, and kind of identified seven affective systems in the brain that are common to all animals and therefore kind of common to us as, as, as humans. Well, I think he said mammals, but his theory was that he thinks all animals had this. So the seven effective systems. So we, it essentially, we've got seven emotional drives systems in our body. Stop me if I'm not making any sense. <laughs> um, so these, so we've got rage, fear, and panic or sadness, right? So there's three of the systems. So if we're struggling with our mental health, it means we're, we're kind of in those systems. Those systems re release things like cortisol and stress hormones. They're basically our survival system, right? And they're, they're in animals, you know, as we have a neocortex, we have a kind of much more developed brain compared to animals. It becomes quite complex <laughs> within our head. We have a capacity for memory and all these other things. It's like, ah, you know, I've got to deal with these effects of my rage, but it's linked to, you know, my parents' rage when I was young or that experience of aggression, these sort of things. So it kind of gets quite complicated. So they're releasing cortisol. So if we're, you know, if we're, if we're stuck in our kind of panic sadness system, you know, we're, we're in the realm of depression there. If we're in our fear system, we're in the realm of anxiety, and those sorts of things. So there's three there. We then have lust, which is again part of our survival drive, is kind of lust and attraction, enables us to procreate and, and continue life and continue the species, right? Then we have my three favorites. <laughs> we have a seeking system, okay? So you can think of this in a really rudimentary way of a baby or a, a, any kind of animal, I suppose, that we have this drive to seek, to seek things out. You know, and again, in humans, you know, babies start to look and they're looking at things, they're reaching for things, you know, inbuilt system it's natural we seek um you know and then we look at as we evolve you know we grow as humans we learn things you know learning is a seeking system engaged right i'm curious i want to find out my seeking systems there so we've got seeking system uh, there's care system so to care about someone or again in humans to care about something to be passionate about something 
So the care system, of course, is most rudimentary, enables, you know, it's a system that needs to be engaged for a parent to care for their child, although that gets complicated, postnatal depression. There's also, do you see what I'm saying? Systems yeah, are working yeah, together. So we've got seeking care, and then my favorite, play. So we have an inbuilt inherent play system. Um, and play on the one hand is kind of inherent to learning um, in animals. Again, the baby, you know that you're a father, right? Babies learn through playing, first of all. Um, and then some, you know, for some reason, Sat tells us that we're meant to stop playing at some point. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's how we live. That's how we exist. It's our inherent system. Engage play, engage play all the time. So play, play in one way is kind of a learning system, but it's also play is how we engage with each other. So kind of a child at play, you know, a child can play on their own, but kind of more happens when they're interacting and playing with people. So, you know, the optimum way of us relating to each other is through play. So seven systems, rage, fear, sadness, lust, seeking, care, and play. So you've got cortisol in the top three. I have no idea about chemicals around lust, but I imagine they're good chemicals, opioids, whatever's there. And the same for seeking, care, and play, is that these release the positive chemicals in the brain when these systems are engaged. And that makes us feel well and kind of can counteract those stress hormones, those stress chemicals that are pulsing through us. So how I frame this, this is this is my way of seeing it. I'm no neuroscience scientist, but it just works for me. So I might be wrong. <laughs> but it's like seeking care and play is what is engaged when we are being creative. Right. You know, we're playing with things, we're exploring things. Um, you know, playing with paint, playing with pens and crayons. Um, you know, we're trying to find something out. We're trying to discover something about ourselves. You know, this is what we do at more advanced art learning. Is like, you know, people set themselves creative projects and they're exploring a particular topic through their art. They're seeking answers. They're trying to find something out, you know. And we, when we're being creative, you know, we're passionate. We care about what we're doing. So yeah, two sides. One of a kind of a mindfulness approach, which is more perhaps an everyday creativity of just sort of being in body. The other one is a bit deeper where we're kind of really engaging and harnessing those, those systems to, to kind of almost, yeah, change our brain chemistry. Does that, right. did that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful, mate. That was really, really fascinating. You can kind of, um, I don't know, I love thinking about the, the science and the mechanisms behind things because it does mm. help us to understand things that can seem very understandable if we're experiencing the sort of like the blunt end of it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but something that really kind of jumped out then you can completely see how the effect of living in a capitalist society really sort of plays on some systems and stifles other systems. You can completely, as you described that, I was thinking like, Oh yeah, being in, you know, working, long hours in toxic workplaces and you know doing all the things that we sort of you know air quotes have to do and feel yeah. like we should do you can see why it, it knocks people off track away from being from thriving in a mm. you know in a in a in a healthy space the idea that we can do more creative practices to kind of write that balance a little bit is um yeah that's uh yeah, yeah mate that was that was amazing well, that was that was always my thing, kind of working, you know, working in city lit in in management positions, or I don't like the word management because management is like coping, right? I'm trying to manage things. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, and leadership kind of makes you feel intimidated. It's like, oh, I don't want to be a leader. Um, but you know, whatever that role was, it's like, you know, I, as much as possible, trying to bring that space 
for empowerment you know i i hate kind of you know has to be done this way and you know like you're saying with with kind of capitalism things it kind of oh i'm trapped in something and i'm just a cog then i'm just kind of going through motions nothing of me is coming into this nothing of my ingenuity is coming to this i'm just performing a function like this so you know you know again research shows in workplaces it's like if you if you allow a little bit of empowerment to whoever's working whatever level whatever role you know you give them ownership of the role listen to them ask how they might innovate to make things better then you're engaging something creative there of go i've got an idea to solve this problem rather than kind of this top-down thing sometimes of like okay here's what we're going to do everybody has to fit this and everybody's grumbling at the bottom going well that won't work because they don't know what it's like on the ground it's like if you listen to people and engage again i come back to it engage in that co-creative process of like listening to the people who are doing the job and go you know what can we change what can we create what might we add what might we take away to do this and you know there's great managers city has got so many great managers who do this this is why city is such a wonderful place <laughs> so the, the kind of it happens it's such a listening institute because it's a learning institute and that's how we learn right i i, I hate the idea of learning like a, a top down i have the knowledge you listen to me and that's the answer you know i've tried to design all the courses i teach as a question so i'm teaching a course at the moment called what is creativity and and you know, and I start every lesson with, well, I start the course by saying, I, I don't have the answer to this, but let's play together and see if we can together generate an answer to that question. <laughs> or you can generate your own and we might disagree. And that's playful and fun as well. Is that, okay, we'll all have our own definition of creativity, right? I'm not yeah. one to, to, you know, I'm not here to tell people how to think and what to think, you know, because again, that stifles their potential to think mm. for themselves. And we come back to, the, you know, where we started, I think, about empowerment. And, you know, a lot of our mental health struggles are about being disempowered and feeling disempowered. And I can't do anything and no one can help me. And it's like, if we engage with these things, it's like we can help ourselves and we can help each other. Yeah. become utopian and like that ah, then we have a wonderful world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Then we can crack on with saving the planet or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, like this idea of like asking people questions and asking people in the workplace for like for their input. Mm. And there's something so and we've kind of yeah, you're right. We've gotten almost full circle and we've kind of touched on this before. But when you were talking before, I scribbled a word down that to come back to. But um, it when people have this sort of input, there's nothing worse than feeling like you don't have a say in your own life that you just have to go with it like no matter what happens you just have to eat shit and just like crack on and that that's yeah. another thing that sort of slowly drags people into the into the darkness and um yeah i suppose that was just i i haven't got a question but i thought of this before as well when you were talking uh, and after the retreat and you 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 sat and tried to work out what you wanted to do and how you wanted to bring it together and it's this idea of like purpose isn't it? it's having a purpose and it doesn't have to be a big thing it doesn't have to be a job it can be in your hobbies your creative pursuits but just having something that you're working towards and and again and I think that comes that kind of ties in with just having a say in your own life I think mm. that's that's an, a really empowering thing isn't it to have purpose yeah Totally. You know, purpose is huge in the coaching world and kind of finding purpose and people have different views on it in a way, you know, and I, mine sort of, again, as I think Brenny Brown talks about it, all these sort of names, you know, they talk about these things, but, you know, there's, a, for me, it was a sense of kind of, you know, purpose, I always thought is kind of, I need to have a future vision that I then work towards. 
right? And that'll be my purpose. I'm going to create something in the future. And I worked with a coach and we were working this way. And, and he was like, okay, you know, um, get a diary and put in what does your ideal working week look like? And then create a vision board and kind of create a vision of what it is you're going to create and what's going to be there for you in the future. And I did all this and I looked at it and I was like, ugh. That's rubbish. <laughs> and, and, and that was such a huge moment for me because I was envisioning the thing at the end. I was envisioning the destination. And that was a huge revolutionary moment for me. It was like, ah, purpose isn't what we're working towards. Purpose is in, in the whole movement towards. Do you see what I mean? Mm. It's like, so every day I'm, I'm living my purpose. It's not some future goal that I'm hoping for. For me, other people it might work for, that's fine. But for me, it's like, I don't know what my future's going to be or what I'm going to create or what's going to come next. Um, but every day, my purpose is to, to, you know, to work with people, facilitate them in engaging their creativity. And I know that fulfills me. So if I live every day to that, I'm, I'm on purpose, really. And then kind yeah. of, you know, and then I meet people, I meet you. And then suddenly this happens and I'm like, this is great. I can just come and have a chat with you. And it's really exciting, you know, to, to talk about these things. And, and wow, that's part of my purpose, right? We're talking about yeah. creativity and all the things I'm passionate about. So yeah, that's it. All yeah. ebbs and flows, you know, I, yeah. I think vision boards are amazing. And uh, mm. like when we do yeah, start, yeah. start on that, that route of working towards something, it's although like we've had all the things we thought about and the things that we've put on our, or I'm saying our mind, I'm talking about my experience, all the things that I've put on my vision board that I'm working towards. And it's by starting that process of working towards them, mm -hmm. then all these other things come that I'd never thought about. And suddenly yeah. you're doing something that's amazing that wasn't on my finish, my vision board, because I didn't know it existed, but I never would have found it if I didn't yeah. just start nudging myself in that that direction you know and uh yeah, yeah i'm a big big uh, i used to have a massive one that i made um in the pandemic that was my project and i stuck oh, it on cool. my, stuck it on my bedroom wall and it was like when i woke up it was the first thing i saw and when yeah. i went to bed it was the last thing i saw and i didn't just you know i didn't sit there looking at it but it was just it was just there and interestingly i'm going through like a quite a big life shift at the moment i'm trying to like make some changes and, and launch a bit of a new project but mm, exciting my, my yeah yeah my, my life that i'm moving out of is exactly what was on that vision board you know like three years ago and it's funny because yeah. like i kind of got all the things that i said i wanted to get and it's now it's like getting those things has given me these tools to have this other idea and it's like oh cool i'm just gonna bin all that stuff now and yeah. go do this thing. you know like it's a yeah it's a, a vision boards are, are, are really really cool yeah 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 no, i know I love that, you know, I, I have mine, which which includes things that I am working towards and, and also things that are just there along the way and things that are inherent, you know, it's almost like a vision and values board, I suppose. It's like, mm. you know, I visualize the things that is like, it's part of my everyday, I think. But I think that's great. I suppose part of my worry was like, if I have a vision and I get to it, then what do I do afterwards? So it's great that's to hear classic. your experience is like, I've got there, let's swap in the next thing and let's keep things moving. You yeah know, that's the classic thing isn't it we see that with like uh, sports people tyson fury is the most obvious example isn't it you know you focus your whole life on achieving one thing and then you achieve it and then you're having a what now moment at the edge of 30 you know like it's a yeah that's a real real common thing but yeah mate, it's um we've done an hour and that has just flown i really i could i could do another one with you and that was wonderful i've got to go and pick my kids up in five minutes <laughs> So I can't, but um, mate, it was so lovely to um, to spend some time with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on. No, um, thank you so much for 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 having me and allowing me to uh, 
to to think and play with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Does the yeah. when does the um I know like the the festival's only just finished. How how long does it take to plan the next one? Like when does all when does all that when does the merry go round start again for you, mate? Oh, we've we we had a meeting last week, I think. So we started <laughs> thinking about next year. So it's starting to to pick up. We really get going around Easter time to yeah. to ramp things up, but but it's our tenth year next year. So it's um you know it's always second week of October it's around World Mental Health Day um so we'll start working on that but 10th year because it's a biggie we're we're starting working now really just to to yeah to make it an incredible that's a most incredible festival yet yeah that's it yeah I mean 10 years right in a mental health space such a long time like the conversation Mm. only really really sort of sped and ramped up maybe you know a few years ago so I'd imagine when the festival I mean that's probably a you know a whole episode to kind of get into there but when it first started sure. you, you know delivering very different messages to like oh, exactly yeah you know, we, we always reflect how things and, have changed yeah, and evolved and it's like again it's we're in such we're in a much better place now around mental health and the conversation about it and you know again your contribution to that and the stigma stigma's moved and it's like we can again it's like the vision board right we get people talking we've done that what's next what's next <laughs> and yeah. it's like what's the vision for mental health what's our collective vision where do we want to go let's do it let's do it together let's co-create a better place a better world for for mental health and well-being right oh mate yeah that's beautiful that's exciting too right exciting but yeah mate it's been a pleasure thank you so much awesome yeah thank you tom cheers A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.